You're listening to Emmy Award-winning host Jordan J. Adams. Well, it's Science Saturday here in the United Fight Alliance studios, and for all those who have said, "Just give us nutrition science. We want science." Well, that's exactly what you're getting today. Dr. Peter Langshin is considered the world's foremost expert in the use of coenzyme Q10 to treat cardiac disease. Dr. Langshin received his Bachelor of Science in Chemistry with honors from the University of Texas at Austin. He received his medical degree from the University of Texas Health Science Center, did his internal medicine residency at the University of North Dakota, and his cardiology fellowship at Scott and White Memorial Hospital in Temple, Texas. He conducts his research and clinical practice in Tyler, Texas. It's time to make our fighting weight with Dr. Peter Langshin. Thanks for being with us today, Doctor. Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. Doctor, you are um, widely considered one of the world's, if not the world's, foremost expert in the use of coenzyme Q10 for really all causes, but in particular to treat cardiac disease. Can you first give us a, a quick snapshot of what coenzyme Q10 is? Is it, is it, is it a vitamin, an herb, a mineral? I mean, what is it? Yeah, that's very important. Uh, it has a confusing name, and many times people refer to coenzyme Q10 as an enzyme. And it's important to realize that coenzymes are very small molecules that are absolutely essential for the function of a large enzyme system. Uh, most vitamins are coenzymes for, or cofactors for different enzymes in our body. Coenzyme Q, and I usually refer to it just as Q, is the coenzyme for three huge enzyme systems that make about 95% of all cell energy. So it's an absolutely essential cofactor in energy production in all our cells. So if, if you wanted to think of uh, CoQ10 and describe its functions maybe in just two words, one would be energy. And the other is defense. It's a remarkable free radical scavenger. And it's located primarily in the powerhouses of our cells, in the mitochondria. That's where we burn food with oxygen and we create carbon dioxide, water, usable cell energy, that's the ATP, but we also create free radicals. And there's a beautiful cycle, coenzyme uh, Q interacts very rapidly with free radicals, thereby protecting the rest of the mitochondria and the DNA in the mitochondria. And when it does that, it goes back to its oxidized state, ubiquinone, and in that state it acts as a coenzyme for the production of energy. And so it's a cycle, it's a beautiful cycle of an antioxidant and a coenzyme. And so, Energy and defense pretty much sum up the, the biochemistry or the function of Q. And another important aspect of it, it's not a vitamin because we can make it. We make Q uh, very well when we're young. And interestingly, and I think particularly for your audience, Q, which remember is essential for energy, it peaks at exactly the same time you have your peak uh, Olympic athletic performance, late teens up to maybe mid-twenties. Uh, 
and I'm sure we've all heard the term with these elite athletes that once they get up into their mid-30s, they're over the hill. Well, their Q levels are already starting to drop because th their ability to make it starts to decline after, say, mid-20s. And the exception to this drop in Q as we age is those few people who still eat a fair amount of foods that are very high in Q. And these are mostly organs that work all the time. So heart muscle has the highest concentration of Q. So if you added some chicken hearts to your stew or your chili, you get a lot of Q. If you fry up some liver once a week, you know, organs that work 24-7 use a lot of energy. So they're the highest sources of Q. And if you don't eat much in the way of hearts and livers and kidneys, uh, your Q levels will drift down as you age. And with that, there's a general decline in your uh, physical abilities. Well, you uh, have said in the past this is one of the, if not the most important substances ever discovered. You you said, and if this is if this quote is off, the clinical experience with coenzyme Q10 in heart failure is nothing short of dramatic, and it's responsible. It's reasonable to believe that the entire field, the entire field of medicine, should be reevaluated in light of this growing knowledge. Is that is that accurate? Is it that is that that important of a substance? Yes, it, it is that accurate, and it is the first time in medicine that we've been able to fundamentally and dramatically, I might add, improve all cell function. If you think of medicine, we've we've become uh, a profession that looks at just the eyes or the ears or the teeth or the heart or you name it, you know, just some some uh, specific organ or part of your body. CoQ10 influences everything. Your skin, your gums, your heart, your skeletal muscles, your nerves, your retina. And so to be able to uh, measure a compound this important and to be able to administer it and start to affect in a favorable way the health of the entire uh, the entire body uh, yeah that's a powerful thing and it changes the whole way of looking at it so you listed a couple of the um, a couple of the parts of the human anatomy that it helps and um, when I was looking through the list when I was doing my research I was absolutely amazed. Dental health, um, macular degeneration, sperm count, um, yeah. tissue, uh, anything that has to do with, with it seems the aging process is affected positively. Uh, Anti-inflammatory uh, and we all know how important uh, keeping the inflammation in the body is, keeping it low. Um, pretty much every that seems to be associated with aging seems to be affected positively by coenzyme Q10. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, and one of the th very important things to realize about Q and also interpreting the 
the literature of Q, which goes back to 1957, so there's thousands of papers, many thousands, is it took quite some time to realize what a therapeutic level of Q was. There's a threshold in your blood that you have to get Q above before you start seeing tissue effects. For instance, heart muscle. We can measure heart muscle non-invasively and fairly accurately. And we know that if you give, let's say, a small amount of CoQ10 and the blood level is, from what we've learned over the years, sub-therapeutic, you'll have little or no effect. And the same thing is true in some of the studies that have looked at elite athletes. These are people in perfect health. Can you improve their athletic performance by giving them Q? Well, the answer to that is no, you can't if you give them a meaningless amount of Q. It doesn't do anything. But if you give them a good amount of Q and you attain high enough blood levels, you get very significant changes. Uh, it would be the difference between a gold medal and a silver medal for sure. Wow. Wow. Let's talk about some of the different uh, areas of the body that protects because I'm sure we have you know, a bunch of people who are listening who have different concerns. Um, we talked a little bit about heart health um, and I know you've done some studies. Let's stay on the heart just for a second. I know you've done some studies um, to try to find out if it uh, can help someone, let's say, who has a, is quite a, a bit down the road in terms of their uh, heart disease, you know, significant blockage in the arteries and maybe even congestive heart failure. Was it, uh, did it prove to be effective in patients who are far down the road or do you have to get to it pretty early for it to be effective? That's a, it's a great question. Uh, it, and it varies a little bit. It is on average better if you have the opportunity to treat someone with heart failure relatively early in the course of their disease. So if we see someone with congestive heart failure that was diagnosed within the last year, there's a higher probability that we can turn that completely around to, to normal heart function. But there's other variables to it. Hearts, when they fail, gradually stretch out and dilate, and the walls become thin, and they actually gradually replace viable heart muscle with scar tissue. And that shows on echocardiograms as being, we call it echo dense. It's like dense, uh, thin heart muscle. It's hard to improve that very much. Uh, and that process usually takes time to develop. So. In general, earlier is better because you, you're intervening in a stage when the heart is weak, but it's not, you haven't permanently lost a lot of muscle. It's not fibrotic is the term we use. So, yeah, early is definitely better. Uh, there's some exceptions. Sometimes you can see a new patient who's had been in and out of heart failure for five years uh, and still do a great deal of good with it. So we always try it. And because you have nothing to lose, you have no side effects, and uh, 
we use CoQ10 in addition to whatever conventional medicines are appropriate. So it seems the takeaway there is that it's um, it's a little bit easier to prevent the damage in the first place or slow down the damage in the first place than it is to revive the heart muscle once it has been damaged. Yeah, it is. Yeah, definitely. Let's talk about some of the other uh, some of the other areas because this it, it's so remarkable in in all of the different functions it has. Um, if uh, you know, God forbid, someone has cancer and they're in a uh, chemotherapy protocol. This has actually been demonstrated, and I believe peer-reviewed, double-blind, been demonstrated to, to help greatly with the uh, recovery um, and protecting because chemo also takes out the bad cells. So, I mean, it takes out the good cells as, as, as well as the, as the bad cells. Does this help prevent the good cells from being taken out by chemo? <clears throat> yeah, it's a. This is a little controversial in cancer centers. Uh, some of them, like MD Anderson in Houston, for instance, forbid their patients to even take vitamin C. You know, they want them on no vitamins. Their rationale being, you may lessen the killing effect of the oh. chemotherapy on the cancer cells. Okay, I got uh, it. That's possible, but you're also protecting all your own healthy cells. So uh, the one thing that we can say for sure uh, is that when you use chemotherapy that is very cardiotoxic, like adriamycin, it's famous for causing heart failure, if you give these patients CoQ10 while giving them this toxic type of uh, chemotherapy, you definitely protect the heart. Now, and the, the few studies that have been done on this show that you don't lessen its effectiveness on the cancer. Uh, so, but it's, most cancer centers shy away from Q. They don't tend to understand it, and there's, there's some exceptions. There's one cancer center, uh, it's either in Oklahoma or Kansas, I'm blocking on where right now, but they have uh, the belief that this is helpful people recover better from their chemo, they have less complications, so they look at it as a net plus. But then yeah, other... Forgive me, it seems, it seems inexcusable to me that, that, that a hospital would not know about this or would just not be educated about this given the amount of literature that's been done on, on this substance and the favorables that it has in so many different categories. I can't, I can't see not implementing it at, at least as part of the protocol. Or, or at least studying it. You know, they have the, uh, the assets to, uh, to analyze this better than anybody else. They have a ton of funding. And I think it's because it's a, a nutrient. There's always a bias about nutrients versus pharmaceuticals. And oh, you know, how we that come goes. back to that 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 yeah. age old thing, man. It comes back to market share, and it comes back to who's making the money, and people zealously and jealously guarding their turf instead oh, of yeah. what should be the what should be the um, the dominant factor is getting people well. Um, you know, what was it? Uh, what did they call it in Star Trek? There was the uh, the number one law, like you don't you don't uh, 
you don't fiddle in other cultures, and it was there was a rule for it. I can't remember what they called it. Any start, any Trekkies out there, let us know what that was called. I can't remember, but it was the oh the the primary the primary directive. The uh, the primary directive. The primary directive should be getting people well, not guarding your money, guarding your market share. Yeah, true enough. It's another subject, doctor, and I won't ask you yeah. to go down that road. We'll talk science, all science here. Um, another remarkable property of coenzyme Q10, fighting melanoma, fighting diabetes, endothelial dysfunction. I mean, remarkable, remarkable. Yeah, yeah, it is. And again, it goes back to the fact that its effects are not uh, specific for one organ. You're influencing your immune system, which influences almost everything. So people with a good Q level tend to be remarkably healthy. It, it's wonderful. Uh, my clinic has some of the healthiest people around. You know, they're all on CoQ10. And it's a lot of fun to uh, follow them over the years. <laughs> uh, you know, here's one that's near and dear to my heart. You can see my um, Coke bottle glasses on my eyes. And apparently, CoQ10 may be essential to oh, preserving yeah. healthy visual function in adults. Uh, people with age-related macular degeneration, my arm is up if you can't see me, uh, which is a common cause of vision loss, always have lower plasma of CoQ10 than levels than uh, do unaffected individuals. And this is all double-blind, placebo-controlled. Were you um, a part of the study that was this double-blind, placebo-controlled study uh, talking about I think it was a synergistic study of CoQ with um, acetyl L-carnitine and omega-3 fatty acids. No, I wasn't part of it, but I'm aware of it. And just anecdotally, uh, I've had a number of patients with early macular uh, degenerative changes that we've put on Q 20 years ago, and they have not progressed at all. They're fine. Uh, which doesn't normally happen. Normally, that's a progressive disease. So I think there's no question it's protective. Uh, that is going to be something I'm going to be, uh, just on this conversation alone, I'm going to be implementing more uh, into my diet. Also, um, yeah. intriguing evidence suggesting that CoQ may even help improve male fertility, um, helping with low sperm count and impaired sperm motility as well. Yeah, that sperm definitely swim faster with Q. You know, right around that tail, it's packed with mitochondria. And you can measure the speed that sperm swim. And if you supplement with Q, they swim a lot better, which has a lot to do with fertility, obviously. So, yeah, there's been some really nice studies. There's a lot of Italian work with the uh, sperm motility that's kind of fun. The Michael Phelps of uh, the Michael yeah. Phelps uh, <laughs> enzyme <laughs> effect, right, right. Uh, yeah, the Michael Phelps effect. Yeah, that would be better. Um, yeah. Let's just do a couple more on on uh, on CoQ because it, there's so many things, and I want to sort of get to every. I want to try to get to everybody's different impairments. Um, so uh, forgive me for staying on CoQ so long, but. Um, you know, there's so many different applications. One of the applications 
uh, fighting skin and other cancers, photoaging. And here's, a, here's one that's important to me because just in the last three or four years I've noticed this in myself, blood sugar issues. Um, I've really cut down on my... to get rid of my for a long time, and I was starting to get blood sugar issues. So um, how does the CoQ help us? I know I gave you a bunch of different um, issues, but let's, let's, let's tackle blood sugar because that's a huge issue right now with the population is migrating towards a pre-diabetic state in drugs. Oh, about that. Can CoQ help us with that? I think the dominant effect in uh, the increase in diabetes is dietary. Uh, it's the consumption of large amounts of high fructose corn syrup and refined carbs. So the obesity epidemic correlates perfectly with the diabetic epidemic. Uh, CoQ10 helps some and we're not really sure how. Uh, we looked at a group of about a hundred diabetics, adult onset diabetics, and when we were put them on CoQ10 for their heart disease, about a third of them uh, were able to completely come off their diabetic medications, and so they definitely had improvement. Uh, about two-thirds stayed roughly the same. But we don't know if we're improving the bioenergetics that relates to the pancreatic, you know, islet cells that make insulin, or whether we're influencing receptor chemistry where you improve sensitivity. I don't think anybody really knows that. Uh, we know that the converse, if you deplete Q on purpose with a statin, you increase diabetes significantly. Uh, and we don't know if it's because of the Q depletion or not, but it, it might be. We are talking with Dr. Peter Langshin, considered one of the world's foremost experts in the use of CoQ10 to treat pretty much every disease out there um, with a emphasis on cardiac disease and uh, really giving us some great information here, Dr. Langshin. One of the other uh, categories that CoQ is supposed to help in, and I'll be talking with uh, Ramiel Nagel, I hope I said his last name right, later on in, uh, in the summer um, about uh, dental health. And he, uh, he is a, a proponent of uh, organ meats. You had mentioned organ meats earlier to increase the coenzyme Q10 blood plasma levels. He is a proponent of that for dental health. I'm having a feeling you guys might get along. Um, he really has some interesting literature and interesting studies that he's conducted. Um, how does CoQ10 help with periodontal disease? We assume a couple of things. Uh, the honest answer is we're not really sure. But uh, the gums, especially when they're inflamed, they're rapidly dividing. You know, it's a f uh, and anything that divides rapidly is using a lot of energy and therefore is dependent on Q. Uh, it may have uh, you know, anti-inflammatory or free radical scavenging effects that are beneficial. You have this terrible, angry, bloody mess, really. Uh, and if you have people take soft gels of Q 
and let them dissolve in their mouth, they get both a topical effect and then, of course, you swallow it and you get a general internal effect as well. But it is clearly helpful. Uh, the, the exact mechanism is not been worked out. But it's probably a combination of the energy and, and defense. You know, one of the other indicators, and, and, and tell me if this is an indicator, but um, they did some studies in patients who were suffering from HIV infection, which obviously mm -hmm. is an immune, immune system. It's very implicated in immune-weakened individuals. And they're often, these patients are vulnerable to ranges of infections due to their weakened immune system. Every one of these inflammatory diseases we're talking about, heart disease, periodontal disease, uh, diabetes, um, HIV, they, when you study these patients, they all have very low blood plasma levels of CoQ10. So can you safely uh, deduct and, and sort of reverse engineer and say, you know, if they all have low blood serum levels of it. If we increase those levels, then is that a safe, you know, it obviously, you know, I'm not even close to being a doctor, and so I, I, you know, I'm not sure what the protocol is here. But, you know, is it? Are we at the point now where it's it's pretty irrefutable how important this is for all of these different inflammatory diseases? Yeah, in in AIDS, we actually studied that uh, here in Tyler before the introduction of the uh, AZT and then all the other uh, AIDS drugs. And we found that uh, Q levels in HIV patients with no symptoms were the same as healthy people. But the Q levels in people with full-blown AIDS were very, very low, some of the lowest we've ever seen. And we also knew in those early years that some AIDS patients were dying of dilated cardiomyopathy which was, of course, our specialty. And so we were quite intrigued by it, and we studied CoQ10 in these very, very sick uh, AIDS patients with these super low blood levels. And the improvements were striking. I mean, it was unbelievable. The problem that we had is as soon as they left the hospital, in our particular subset of patients, many were IV drug abusers. And so they went back to that lifestyle, stopped taking many CoQ10 supplements, and when within a month or two we're back in the hospital, so it was like a roller coaster. Uh, so, but I mean, it was it, it was clearly fa favorable when we had the ability to administer it on a you know regular schedule and check blood levels. Uh, it was very exciting actually, but it's. When you have a, a lifestyle that sort of thwarts that, it's pretty tough, you know. Compliance is always the big issue, isn't it? With, yeah, with, uh, that was going to hard. Yeah. Uh, I probably should mention a little bit about dosage of Q. Yes, that's, uh, my audience right now is, they, they already, probably half of them already know this and they're already uh, loving CoQ, but um, for the other half who now are all turned on to it, yeah, how do we get it? And I've I've seen it in the health food stores, and it is expensive. But you were saying that there's a there's a nutritional protocol that you could do, and is that even more effective because you have the cofactors? You know, it is as effective for sure. 
and back when uh, CoQ10 was exceedingly expensive, about 25 years ago, we treated cardiomyopathy patients with a very simple regimen. One day of the week, we'd have them get a pint, that's a lot, of chicken hearts and make chili or stew or whatever they wanted to with it and eat that once a week. And then on another day of the week, we'd have them eat some kind of liver, like either pate or fried chicken livers or, you know, whatever kind of liver they wanted to. But So two out of seven days, we had them eat foods that we knew were very, very high in Q. And they did great. They had therapeutic blood levels. Their heart muscle did wonderful. They did as well as taking a whole handful of expensive, you know, Q supplements. Uh, the other point to make is that supplemental Q used to be exceedingly simple. All the Q in the world was made by one of three companies all in Japan. It was all good. It was all very high quality, pure CoQ10. Uh, that's no longer the case over the last, I'd say, seven or eight years. Uh, other countries, particularly China, makes over half of the world's Q with variable uh, qualities. And so you have to be a little careful now where you get your Q and read the fine print. Um, and the best Q for the money has changed over the years. You know, at one particular time, there was a company, they've since been bought out, but a company called Vitaline out of Oregon. They made a wonderful chewable tablet, very affordable, and if you chewed it up with a spoon of peanut butter, you got great blood levels. And that was our favorite cue for 10 years, maybe. Then there was a company out of New York, uh, Tishcon, uh, that made a cue that was like in an emulsion. Uh, that gave excellent blood levels, and that was the cue that we recommended for quite some time. Uh, currently, and you, your uh, audience will, I think, probably have already heard about this, but there, you can get two types of supplemental cue. The one that's been on the market for a long, long time is oxidized cue. That's bright orange powder when it's formed. And it's usually mixed with a variety of oils or, or as a dry tablet. About six years ago, one company, that's a Japanese company called Kanaka, and they have a big plant in Pasadena, Houston, that makes the reduced form of Q. That's a white crystalline powder. They're, they're interchangeable once you swallow them, but the ubiquinol product, and that's on the bottle, uh, is about two times better absorbed, uh, two to three times, uh, which is a lot. And since it's only made, at least right now, by one company, it's been wonderfully consistent. We haven't seen any variability, you know, from batch to batch, and we've consistently seen good blood levels with that cue. So, especially in people where you don't have a lot of uh, freedom of time, you know, if they're really sick and they may have a life expectancy 
that would be measured in months, not years. Uh, you need to use the best cue you can get your hands on. And right now we prefer this ubiquinol product. And we see beautiful levels. And we like to get blood levels above uh, 3.5 it's micrograms per milliliter. So we get them up around, let's say, 5 or 6. And at that level, you see your best response. And if it's lower than that, if you have a level of only, let's say, two, uh, they're not going to do very well. And so it's, and it's actually, uh, this is a good thing, uh, major labs like Quest, you know, major national labs, are beginning to offer CoQ10 blood levels. Uh, that's a relatively new development. It used to be difficult to get Q levels because they were only done by just a few research centers. But now that the commercial labs are doing them, uh, you can check your Q level and see if it's in, you know, see if it's above 3.5. Uh, because everybody absorbs it a little differently. And so that's a, that's a change in the last few years that's been quite helpful for, for people who are trying to see if Q is going to help them in some way. So it's called ubiquinol. I believe it's spelled U-B-I-Q-U-I-N-O-L? Yes. Ubiquinol. That's right. And that's what, is that the actual name of coenzyme Q10, or is that a product name? Like if I was going into a GNC or a vitamin <coughs> shop, I would actually ask for ubiquinol? Yeah, that's a molecular name. So you, it would have ubiquinol somewhere in fine print. Then it would have the... Uh, the encapsulation company. It could be Now Products. It could be Jaro. It could be any number of uh, Healthy Origins. Uh, you know, there's a long list of companies that encapsulate Q. So there, that'd be the biggest name on the bottle. Uh, but somewhere on there, it would say the chemical name, which is ubiquinol, and often it'll also in parentheses somewhere have the manufacturer's name and that's Conica. Uh, if it has those two words on it, ubiquinol and Conica, they're all good. It doesn't matter who's encapsulating it. So Conica, look for Conica. That's the Japanese origin and that's been consistently performing for you. <clears throat> yeah, that, that currently is our favorite. Yeah. Can you take too much, Q? No, you can't. It's been tried, and you just absolutely can't. Uh, if you take over about two to 300 milligrams in one dose, you're not going to absorb all that. <clears throat> so if you're in, let's say, some of these really sick patients, we give them 200 milligrams three times a day. If you gave them 600 all at once, you'd be wasting a lot of the Q. It, there's a saturation effect. We can absorb somewhere around 200 in one dose. That's about the maximum. But no, there's not any toxicity to any level. What is the difference between ubiquinol and ubiquinone? The only difference is in absorption. <clears throat> that, you know, the, the immediate uh, gut barrier. After it's absorbed, they're identical because they're interchangeable. Uh, so the only difference is absorption. Uh, that's it. Uh, well, we're running out of our time, Dr. Langshin, but I did uh, want to get to one other quick topic. Well, 
<laughs> it might be quick, might not be, but we'll try to keep it quick. Um, a lot of people who um, are dealing with heart issues, uh, including my dad and a lot of other people, um, have been prescribed statins by um, the traditional allopathic uh, medical community. Um, you've gone on record as saying that you don't think statins are um, indicated, I think, ever. <laughs> Can you explain why statins are, are not indicated uh, as a health protocol? Yeah, two simple words. One is they're far too toxic. Uh, they cause a significant deterioration in your mental acuity, which can be permanent. The first thing that goes is your short-term memory. Uh, the brain cannot function with a decrease in cholesterol. It needs a lot. The second thing is fatigue. There's a general decrease in your ability, for instance, to exercise. Exercise does more for your heart than any drug will ever do. You get a variety of muscle and joint aches and pains. You get a weakening of your heart muscle. You get an increase in diabetes and then also frequently permanent. You can develop a peripheral neuropathy where you can't feel your feet or you have these burning, you know, tingling paresthesias in your feet. So the toxicity is far greater than you would be led to believe by, of course, drug company ads. And then on the other side of the ledger is the benefits are negligible. They really are. I mean, if you're talking, especially if you're talking about what really counts, that's mortality. There's no mortality benefit after the age of 65, and there's no mortality in women of any age. And yet, these drugs are prescribed with what I term reckless abandon. They're aggressively prescribed to the elderly, and it's, it's devastating. I mean, you just rapidly are going to end up in a nursing home because nothing works. One other quick thing to address, and first, uh, before we address that, thank you. Um, it'd be very easy for you uh, with uh, your credibility and with the prestige that you carry to hop onto the big pharma synthetic bandwagon and make a lot of money. And um, But you're out there speaking truth to power and telling people, how to get real health. So I first, I want to congratulate and thank you for that. Um, oh, yeah. Not easy, man, because Big Pharma's got the big money, and uh, they love to get big, big chiefs like you, big thought leaders like you, because you can sell a lot of products. So thanks for the integrity. You bet. That's where the real joy in life is, anyway. I agree. One other thing to quickly touch upon, because a lot of people who listen to the show are vegans and vegetarians, and I was a vegan for a long time. Uh, the entire time I lived in Los Angeles, so almost a decade of being a vegan. Um, and the reason I did come over to more of a paleo approach, and I don't even have to call it paleo, call it what you want. I, I want to eat a little more grass-fed meat. It helps me to flatten out my stomach, and it helps me to think more clearly. I, I just couldn't lose the, the 15 pounds that I needed to lose without doing it. So it, it worked for me. Um, and you were talking about how much cholesterol the brain needs. Cholesterol's got a bad rap. Uh, the brain needs it, and the brain needs these oils. Um, can you just speak quickly to that? We are running out of time. But just to my vegan and vegetarian friends who might be contemplating a little fish oil in their diet or maybe some salmon or some mackerel, uh, would you encourage them to do that? Oh, I think so. I mean, omega-3 is essential for life, so you should get it. Uh, you know, if they didn't want to eat fish, you could get it with ground flax. You know, that's uh, 
a source of omega-3. But the other thing they should consider is taking Q, even if they're in good health, because uh, Q has a wonderful protective effect on these aging uh, phenomenon that occurs in our mitochondria. And vegetarians, they tend to be relatively healthy people. They're health conscious, you know, uh, <clears throat> but they can certainly get low in Q. Now, they can make their own Q, but again, you. it yeah. goes down with age. And so can some you get Q through vegetarian sources? I mean, you had mentioned <laughs> sure. all of the organ meats. Um, yeah, all all the Q in the world, just about, is uh, extracted from a yeast. Now, that's neither a plant nor an animal that's in the fungal kingdom, so I don't know how how they feel about that. But uh, there, are, there are strains of yeast that have make huge amounts of CoQ10, and that's where most is, is um, whatever manufactured by. So it's a yeast product. But with the... With the ability to get, you were saying to eat organ meats, um, you know, um, hearts and livers to get high levels of Q. If they don't want to spend a lot of money at Vitamin Shop and GNC buying the supplements, is there a food product in the vegetarian world that would have as high a level Q or that has Q at all? Uh, no. It remember Q is essential for energy. The animals that have the highest Q are the most active. Hummingbirds, with a resting heart rate of 1,000, have the highest Q concentration in the world, in their heart. A snapping turtle is dramatically lower. They're very, very slow. Plants have Q, but they're even slower yet. They, they do move, they grow, and they have mitochondria, but only sparsely. And so... There is CoQ10 in virtually all plants, but in tiny, tiny amounts uh, compared to, you know, high energy using uh, creatures like animals. Uh, so I think for the vegetarians, their best bet would be to supplement, realizing they're taking, I mean, it's identical to your own CoQ10. There's no difference in the structure, and it's extracted from a yeast. So I would think that would be acceptable. Are there any counterindications? Um, any counterindications for people who have candidiasis? Because uh, that is a yeast issue. I know I'm kind of going <laughs> no. on your left field here, but no, no. Okay. It's it's a good question, but no, because it's this is crystallized pure Q. There's nothing else in it. It's amazingly, uh, you know. So as far as yeast. Uh, antigens or capsules or parts of the cell wall—they're not there. You know, it's. But no, that's that's a good question. But it's uh, it's a, it's too refined, I think, for that to be an issue. Yeah. Well, we are just plumb out of time. Uh, just an amazing, fascinating discussion. Uh, was there anything else? You, we've got about uh, 45 seconds left. Anything else you wanted to give a quick touch upon or say to the the people out here who are listening? Oh, uh, I just appreciate the opportunity to visit with you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for all of the, the, the great work you're doing, uh, Dr. Langshan. Um, you're really helping a lot of people. And uh, if people want to get in touch with you or find out more about your organization, where would they go? That's a good question. Uh, our website's sort of a disaster, but... Uh, <laughs> 
you know, that gets sent emails. Uh, we answer them the best we can. You know, like we sort of get swamped there. Uh, which one? drlangshan.com. Yeah, they could go to drlangshan.com. It has all of my publications and all the abstracts are there. No. At any rate, that's something like that might be helpful. Um, that's great. Now, you're also on the board of directors um, for Life Extension Foundation, so they could they get a hold of you or find out more about your work through that organization? They might be able to. I've never tried, but yeah, that's possible. Yeah. Well, certainly if they're in Tyler, Texas, they ought to stop off and say hi. Oh, sure. That's the easiest. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much, and um, we appreciate it. And, and to your lovely wife, Allie, for helping us as well. Uh, thanks for joining us, Doctor, and for all the good work you're doing out there. You bet. Thank you. I'm Jay Adams. Thanks for joining us in our quest to live life clear-headed and shredded. We'll see you next time. For our full schedule of fights on the NBC Sports Network, CW and ABC affiliates, visit unitedfightalliance.com. United Fight Alliance. United, we fight.